Does God call the equipped or equip the called? Kind of an essential question. And I think sometimes it's easy to look at some of the stories in Scripture, especially the end parts where some of these Bible characters that we know maybe fairly well, the Samuels, the Moses, the disciples towards the end of their, their lives where they've stood strong for Christ and are being martyred, it's easy to look at some of those people and think God called them to a specific purpose because they kind of were already there. They were already equipped. And yet the Bible is very, very clear and allows us to see certain development of characters over time. And we're in a a passage today where we get to examine the life of Saul and how he began. And I think we'll see very clearly in Saul and maybe, hopefully, your own life as well, that God's hand is all through the development and equipping of certain people for certain roles. It is an interesting passage, though. And here's what I mean by this. Let's do a a quick little test. Right, let's just pretend that you received this text. Now, two words, very simple, Simple to understand the words themselves, but without context, what does it mean? Right? Are you someone who likes to assume the best? That this is a compliment from someone, maybe a flirtation even. Or are you someone who assumes the worst? And you hear this in your minds of, nice hair (laughs) and you can hear that eye roll we find ourselves in a passage today where lots of things happen and what happens is is fairly easy to understand but the meaning behind it can be very very difficult And so a lot of this sermon is going to be, well, if we assume the worst, here's what this means. If we assume the best, here's what this means. So bear with me and let's jump on into the passage. We're going to be in chapter 9, verse 1 through uh, chapter 10, verse 16. And to get us up to speed... Israel has demanded a king. They've demanded a king just like the other nations. Now what they had was God using uh, certain people like Samuel to lead the nation. But they were looking around and they were looking at Samuel's sons. Fair point. They weren't great. So if they were thinking this was going to be some sort of dynasty or, or uh, passing on the leadership to the next generation through a bloodline, well, they weren't too excited about that. And that was fair. But what they did, and what hurt God's heart, is they looked at all of the other nations and said, we want to be like them. We want a king like all the other nations to, to fight our battles for us. And the message 
the message to God was, we're rejecting you, and we want somebody else to lead us. And I think, and I think when we talk about God calling the equipped or equipping the called, we see God giving Israel what they want in the leader Saul. But I firmly believe that God was working through his life, equipping Saul to be an incredible leader that he could be. But we'll get to the rest of the story in future weeks. So be encouraged by the story, I hope. Um, and, uh, and we'll take a look at some of these different things that, uh, that bring Saul into a position of leadership. Starting uh, here, it said, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, son of Becherath, son of Ephiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man, There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. It's a weird way of describing this, right? So we had to have a little bit of fun with that. But but I mean, really, what else do you need for leadership? Good good looking and tall. The tall especially is is really what you need to look for. But, But this is the first... This is the first and definitely not the last description where we wonder what the significance is. Assuming the worst, right? God is giving Israel exactly what they want. They just want a pretty figurehead, right? Someone to lead them in battle triumphantly, wearing a flowing robe with flowing hair. Assuming the best. Assuming the best, God is giving Israel, a handsome figure to represent the nation. Right? The physical is there. God is going to be working on other aspects of Saul as well. Interestingly, though, uh, the name Saul apparently means asked for. So fitting, perhaps, that God is giving Israel what she asked for. And actually, last week, that, that was kind of our main point in kids church wasn't it that God sometimes gives us what we what we want and he does that actually for all eternity Um, now we move on to donkeys because why not (laughs) right now the donkeys of Kish Saul's father were lost so Kish said to Saul his son take one of the young men with you and arise go and look for the donkeys and he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalishah But they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. Okay, so he's got a lot of strikes. Um, Again, assuming assuming the worst, Saul is uh, maybe hapless and might have lost the donkeys in the first place. Who knows? And he's not very successful in finding things. Uh, Some people have read into this that he's not much of a kind of a shepherd type person. I don't know that I would necessarily go that far. Um, Maybe we want to assume the best, that that Saul is doing his best. He's trying to be responsible, trying to find these donkeys for his father. 
and maybe that's the way that we should should take this. Um, but they went they went a long way trying to find these donkeys, right? Like I wonder how much of a head start the donkeys had because they went a lot of a lot of days and a lot of miles. Um, but this this description of the the journey continues on. And more is going to happen in this journey than just donkeys. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city. And he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Lots of questions, for me at least, in this little passage. Um, a, lot of, a lot of different circumstances uh, that are lining up. Uh, it happens to be that they are in a place with a prophet or a, a seer. Um, but if we assume the worst in some of these situations, uh, it might seem like Saul is giving up kind of easy, right? Well, I guess we're out of bread, so let's go back and, um, you know, Dad might be worried. Assuming the best, Saul is thoughtful and not wanting his father to be too worried. Uh, assuming the worst about uh, this, this prophet, it doesn't seem like Saul is clued into the spiritual side so much. Like, oh, here we are, and a servant has to tell Saul that they're in a place where the prophet is interesting that he might not know it. Or again, if we're assuming the worst, maybe Saul's kind of clueless about that. If we assume the best, maybe he's just bad at directions and, and the servant knew. But Saul latched onto this idea, this is a good idea, let's go with it. Assuming the worst about this money thing, uh, maybe Saul thinks men of God can be bought. Assuming the best, Saul wants to honor Samuel um, or this prophet. Spoiler alert, sorry about that. Uh, Saul wants to honor Samuel as a man of God with a gift, right? It's, it's worth something to get the donkeys back, and it's a fair exchange. My favorite one, though, assuming the worst, about the silver how come the servant has silver that Saul doesn't know about? I can just imagine a conversation. Again, this is assuming the worst of Saul's dad like pulling the servant aside and going, like, I don't even care if you find the donkeys. Saul will do less damage being gone. Just take care of him. Here's some cash. Don't let him get lost. Right? Like, again, assuming the worst, we get this picture of Saul as being this bumbling idiot, right? Who'd, wait, you have silver? Oh, yeah, let's give the man of God that. Again, assuming the best, 
This is a conversation, maybe not verbatim, um, but, but portrays the gist of what was happening. And, and Saul and his father surround himself uh, surround themselves with responsible and honor, honorable servants who are prepared, right? That's assuming the best. As we continue on, we read that as they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? They answered, he is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He's come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. Oh, lucky, right? Except we don't really use the word luck, because we use the term sovereignty of God. God's hand is in all of this, and all of these things that seem to be lining up so perfectly are really orchestrated by God. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Right? Proof that men actually can ask for directions and it works out. And as we continue reading on, oops, where's the next one? There we are. And now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel... Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? God, in his grace, is giving Israel their human king. Even though, in in the last chapter, God said to Samuel, like, don't worry, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me as their leader. Even though that happens, right, God calls Israel my people. Uh, Four times in these last verses, actually. So even though he's going to allow Saul to rule, even though he's going to allow a a monarchy to exist, a kingship to exist, he is still God. And he is still committed to his people because God is faithful. But note also some interesting language. God says, he it is who shall restrain my people. Now, That's an interesting word because it does have a number of different meanings in Hebrew. It can mean to to rule, govern, to restrain, to enslave. It can have all of those meanings. So assuming the worst, assuming the worst, and it's fair probably because the majority of the uses of this word in the Old Testament are fairly negative. Assuming the worst, God has warned the people of Israel that a king is going to take. He's going to take and and enslave. And now it didn't look like, you know, if if we look at history, it didn't look like the Israelite kings enslaved in the same way that Israel was enslaved in Egypt, for instance. But the kings took people. 
and took money and took things. And so maybe it is kind of that, that idea of uh, being enslaved. Or maybe, maybe Saul will govern the people. Again, not looking ahead, but from this perspective, maybe it is that, that Saul will govern the people and restrain them to some degree. Because we all need that. It's not picking on Israel. Right? None of us is as dumb as all of us. Like We all need some kind of structure and restraint for our sin. And so it, it might be more of an indictment of Israel. But it is, it is incredible. Again, God had warned them about what was going to happen. Samuel told them all of the things that were going to happen with a king, including taxes and enslavement. And they're like, yep, that's what we want. Again, it was fair that they were looking at Samuel's sons and not very happy with that, but why would they not ask God for another Samuel? Someone who's righteous to lead them. Maybe because they weren't as interested in being righteous. They wanted to be winners. And with God, they could have both, but I think maybe they saw it as an either or. Again, we see Saul approaching Samuel and assuming the worst. Right? Saul has no idea who Samuel is. Samuel! There's no idea who Samuel is. Right? The leader, the prophet, the judge, the priest, right? I mean, he doesn't know who Samuel is. So maybe that is indicative of a spiritual blindness of Saul. Assuming the best, maybe it was always from a distance, right? He can't Facebook stalk Samuel to know exactly what he's doing, what he looks like. But still we see that sovereignty of God. That he's preparing Samuel for this moment. Telling, telling Samuel exactly what is going to happen and exactly who he's going to meet. Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place for today you shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man, And brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. Eat because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. 
that was pretty normal back then, just FYI. Um, and then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, up that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose and both he and Samuel went out into the street. So again, amazing to see the hand of God. Uh, Samuel knows about the lost donkeys without even being told by Saul and his servant. Um, And not only that, but he prophetically knows that they've already been found. Then Samuel starts talking in a very interesting way uh, about being Saul, uh, about Saul being the one that uh, for whom is all that is desirable in Israel. Again, kind of awkward phrasing. We don't necessarily talk like that now, but it seems like the clearest meaning of that would be that all of Israel is essentially going to be at the disposal of Saul. Whoa. <laughs> Saul's pretty astounded. Right? This is this is a big step. This is a big role. And Saul's response is, what like me? <laughs> and assuming assuming the worst Saul is really insecure and uninterested in responsibility, right? Can't even handle donkeys. Assuming the best, Saul's response was appropriately humble. The who me is probably appropriate when you're looking at becoming a king out of the blue. But Samuel invites Saul to this feast, gives him a seat of honor, gives him a fine cut of meat. Um, in fact, I read somewhere else that, this, um, that that piece of meat was usually reserved for the priests. And so, so we have this weird dynamic or interesting dynamic, multifaceted, where, where this king is somewhat also serving as priest and we'll see what other kind of roles this new king uh, may have as we continue reading on this story. In verse 27, it says, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of of the Lord and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. No pressure, right? (laughs) Um, The language describing Saul's role, also interesting, some of the things that we kind of, um, that we can pick up on on in English, but is even more clear in Hebrew. Um, Samuel is talking about the Lord anointing Saul to be prince. Now, wait a minute, I thought they were asking for a king. Well, I think the language is fairly purposeful, and it goes, it goes back and forth, but let's, let's keep in mind that God is still absolutely in charge. So king, yeah, functionally, from a human standpoint, sure. But God is king of the universe. So prince would be a lot more of an appropriate Uh, title for that role but Samuel Samuel ends this with saying here's here's how you're going to know right in case we're assuming the worst and Saul is really insecure Samuel's going to give him 
a pretty surefire way to know that this is actually going to come true. He said, when you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Beth, uh, Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. Right? If any of you are into uh, like statistics and probability, like this, this wouldn't just happen. Right? And so what, it, what an incredible sign for Saul to say, Samuel isn't off his rock. I know he's old, right? Like Samuel's not off his rocker. He is... He is telling the word of God. This is a prophetic word. As he continues on, it says, They will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeah Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, And you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal. And behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. That sounds like fiercely scribbling notes, right? Wait, what was that last part? Saul, Samuel poured a flask of oil on Saul's head. That was a, that was a symbol, um, a sign, this anointing, kind of a precursor, we would say, to the Holy Spirit um, anointing someone. Um, and just like baptism is an outward sign of an inward change, I think the anointing was supposed to, was supposed to lead to that. It was a a motion or a performance of honor. And in doing this, Saul is, is proclaimed king, or at least future king, will be soon. And again, if, if you look at all of the things that Samuel said were going to happen, if they didn't happen, well, A, According to um, Hebrew law, Samuel should be stoned. Right? You don't say false things, saying that they're the word of God. And you know that someone is a false prophet if things don't come true. So all of these things are coming true for Saul to clarify in his mind that this is, in fact, the word of God. And I think it's also interesting in this transition in, in uh, Hebrew government. So at the, at the beginning, they had, well, at the beginning, beginning, it was like family, right? It was patriarchy family that was leading uh, this group of people. Um, they had a, a stint, obviously, in Egypt under rule, but when they came out of that, they had a strong leader, Moses, 
And then for about 400 years, they had judges. Right? And God would raise up someone, um, particularly uh, in a military context, to deliver Israel from enemies. And then God would raise up another one when they, uh, after they fell away and returned to God. And it was a cycle that repeated over and over and over for generations. And so for a long time, um, that's what they had. They had sort of temporary judges who were anointed by the Spirit um, and, and equipped and called by God for that specific time and for that specific purpose. And here... Uh, Samuel was kind of a transition in some ways because he filled the role of judge, but he also filled the role of prophet, and he grew up in the temple, and so he was also a priest, and now we're transitioning into a king who will, as Samuel says, um, Saul is going to prophesy, so he has part of this prophet role a little bit, but he's... um, He's fulfilling a, a slightly different role in king. And so these transitions of government um, are seen uh, throughout Israel's history. All the while, God, of course, being in charge of all of it. And when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? So this all happened pretty immediately. And I don't want us to to gloss over the fact, a a, a couple of these things. Um, In the last passage, Samuel said that God would turn Saul into another man. And here it says God gave him another heart. I think those are synonymous, but but I don't want to just gloss over that because that is huge. This is huge. And even if we're assuming the worst and Saul was previously really kind of spiritually ignorant, right? what God does in, in that sentence is transform him. And I think, it's a, I think it's an incredible parallel and precursor to the way that God worked later and works today. In, in Ezekiel, Uh, We read that uh, as God is talking to Israel, he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Right? God is doing the work there. And... And as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's God's work. It's his best work, transforming people and transforming hearts into hearts that want nothing to do with God to those who desire him above all else. That's his work. He's a pro at it. And I want us to be encouraged by that especially as we start thinking about 
um, different roles that we might have and leadership roles that we might have, that God is doing work in us, whether we recognize it or acknowledge it or not. But now, but now Saul is a new person, and he's prophesying, right? Which is apparently maybe shocking to other people. I think this can happen sometimes when people are transformed by God today. Sometimes other people don't want to let that happen. Right? We want to keep people in the box that we knew them in. And if we start doing crazy things like going to church services and praying and reading our Bible and wanting to talk about Jesus, sometimes people don't want us out of that box that they previously knew we were in. And so we have these, these interesting phrases, right? Like it, it becomes, a, becomes a, a, a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? Something maybe unexpected. But also, we have this question, what has come over the son of Kish? Right? Is Saul also among the prophets? And someone answered, and who is their father? Again, several possible meanings. If we assume the worst, this is a maybe derisive phrase. Like wondering out loud about either the legitimacy of Saul's birth or, or maybe it's something along the lines of that we read in the New Testament where Jesus says, you belong to your father, the devil, talking to uh, the Pharisees. Are they, are they questioning whether Saul is following God or Satan? Now, assuming the best, assuming the best, they're declaring that Saul's true father was God. That God's the only one who could, who could have this happen to a guy like Saul. And we're maybe genuinely excited Surprised, but genuinely excited at the spiritual transformation of Saul. When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to a servant, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Hey, you can imagine the uncle, like anything interesting happened? We found the donkeys. I'm going to keep the fact that I'm going to be king over Israel a little bit quiet. We'll keep that on the down low now. And again, he didn't, he didn't lie to his uncle. Um, assuming the worst, assuming the worst, Saul is timid and afraid. Like, maybe didn't even believe that this was really actually going to happen. Assuming the best? Well, there's a lot of different possibilities. Maybe he was keeping the anointing private until the right moment. Maybe there was a conversation about that with Samuel that's not recorded. Right? Don't go, don't go blabbing your mouth yet. Uh, maybe he didn't trust his uncle. Um, his, his uncle, well, uncle cousin, uh, was probably Abner. Um, who ended up leading Israel's military under a couple different kings. Um, Abner might have had a vested interest in what was happening with Saul, family inheritance, and, and who knows? I don't know. 
maybe Saul was still processing what had happened. Maybe, maybe Saul was just humble, <laughs> right? And didn't want to overplay this new future role. Maybe he was easing into it appropriately so. Here's what I would say. Um, the humility of God is, is astounding, I think, to me in, in these last passages. Right? Israel is serving other gods. They want a king just like other nations. And God, with warnings, gives them what they want. But he also guides the process. He'll choose a king. He's not abandoning them to choose themselves, probably wise. And he's going to equip the king and give him everything he needs to succeed. Uh, I want to pass out some things at this point in time. If you can just pass it along to people behind you. I'm passing out a blank resume. You may or may not be able to read it. The type is super small. That's not the point. Um, Many are called to be leaders. In fact, I would say most of us are. Maybe all of us. Do you have an influence with anyone in your life? Well, guess what? You're called to leadership. Are you a father? A mother? Do you have a leadership role in a company? Or the other kind of company, right? Military? Uh, Do you have influence with friends? Are you on student council? Are you in a class? Are you on a sports team? You have an opportunity to be a leader. And I want you to be encouraged with the story of Saul that God has not left you unequipped for your callings. And I know a lot of times we, we think of a calling in terms of a, of a job. And that's been an interesting experience for me over the past couple of years. Because uh, about a year and a half ago, I decided I wouldn't use the term called per se, but felt drawn to um, a career in public education. But I didn't apply for jobs then because I wasn't equipped, right? I wasn't qualified. It would be a joke. I didn't have a certificate, hadn't really been in the classroom for a long time. And and so I started taking some of those steps to become equipped. Lots of sub-time, lots of conversations with people like my wife, who's a great teacher, other teachers, and spending time in classroom and going to school and, you know, doing all of those things so that now I can apply for jobs being equipped. But there are a lot of things that went into that beforehand, and, and I think for, for different roles in our life, I think we sort of have that that resume mindset of, well, God's not going to use me until I get all of my ducks in a row and, and until I'm equipped and, and fully qualified to do this role. 
And the encouragement that I want you to take, I think, from this sermon and from the life of Saul is that God is working all along, all the way, and he uses people who are not there yet, which is a big relief because none of us are. God has given us a number of different things. God doesn't... God doesn't call people to salvation and say, well, good luck with the rest of your life. Right? He, he saves people and gives the gift of the Holy Spirit to live inside them, to secure them and comfort them and guide them. He's given us his word in the Bible to reveal himself and to guide us. He's given us the institution of the church Right? A fellowship of believers to sharpen one another and serve as community that will keep us pointed north. And he's given us individuals in our lives to, to encourage us, to mentor us, to teach us, to encourage us so that we're not alone. God is actively working to equip you for some of the roles that you are in and will be in. And to think that we don't need God is is naive and and evil, really. It all begins with trusting in Jesus and his death and his resurrection as we prepare for God's calling on our lives. And I, I think most of the time, God's calling on our lives is equipping us for the character necessary to fulfill our roles. So here's what I'd like you to do on those resumes. I want you to flip it over, and I want you to write these three words. Because this is the resume of someone who can be used by God. I want you to write faithful, available, and teachable. That's the resume of someone who could be equipped by God for whatever role you may be in. Because let's face it, are we ever really ready for our roles? Were you ready and equipped as a parent? Ah. (laughs) You can read a lot. You can talk with parents. Like all of those things are good, right? The other side of the resume, that's all important stuff. But being faithful and available and teachable, being open to what God has in store for you, is the primary spiritual resume.